the Agile brand. Welcome to season six of the Agile brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1000 brands on MarTech, marketing operations, and CX, best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority is Action, Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priority is Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkilstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about mixed reality, what it is, how it can be beneficial, as well as how learning from one experience in marketing can improve the next. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Dave Kaufman, Senior Director, Global Marketing, VR and Metaverse at Meta. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here with you. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you about this. Uh, so why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself as well as what you're currently doing at Meta. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I work in Meta Reality Labs, focused on the future technologies we're building around virtual reality, mixed reality, and the metaverse. I've been at the company for almost seven years, which is a long time uh, by tech standards and by yeah. meta standards. But uh, I've had the opportunity to really see these technologies and these big bets we're placing for the future go from being things in the periphery to really becoming the, the center of the company. So i quite privileged to get the chance to lead the marketing teams that work on all of this incredible technology and excited to, excited to bring it forward into the, the future. Great, great. So yeah, let's let's get started by talking about mixed reality, what it is, how it can be beneficial, and how it promises to make VR more accessible. So first, for those less familiar with the term mixed reality, you know, how do you define it? How does this compare with things like virtual reality, augmented reality, and 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 any any other terms? Yeah, I mean, one of the big challenges for my role is getting past the jargon into the experiences. So it's a great <laughs> right. place to start. Um, so to give you the rundown. Virtual reality is technology that lets you be fully immersed in experience and transported somewhere else. So for example, you might be sitting in your living room in Kansas City, put on a VR headset, and then be on a rocket ship orbiting Mars. So you are in a fully different world, a fully different space. You have a sense of presence as if you are somewhere that you are not. So that's VR. Augmented reality is technology that lets you overlay digital elements into the real world. So you've probably used a face filter on Instagram or Snapchat. You might see on Amazon when it says, see this product in your space, and you can kind of see it projected through your phone sitting on your counter. That's augmented reality. And that is where you are seeing digital objects in your space, but you're not able to really interact with them. They're just kind of floating there or overlay there. Mixed reality gets interesting because it's where digital objects aren't simply projected in your space but they're things you can interact with. 
So for example, instead of say sitting on a rocket ship in VR or seeing a toy rocket ship projected in front of you on your phone in augmented reality, in mixed reality, that rocket ship could land on your coffee table. It could bump into your wall and crack it. You could pick it up and take the top off to look inside it. It's really turning you know, things that we've only previously seen in science fiction into the real world where digital objects are things you can touch, hold, play, and interact with and have them interact with your space as well. So it's, you know, still doesn't do it justice to speak to it, but the first time you put on a Quest 3 headset and see things come to life in your actual space, it's quite a quite a jaw-dropping experience. Nice, nice. Yeah, now that, I, I think that definitely helps. And that kind of speaks to, you know, next question is, you know, definitely the the market is is growing. There's a lot of movement in it and, and a lot of growth, but you know, there's still some that that aren't adopting it, some late adopters as well. Does mixed reality play a key role here in demonstrating its accessibility? Maybe, you know, whether it's between VR and AR or, you know, how how do you see mixed reality playing uh, here? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and accessibility is exactly the right word. I, I think that it is going to be a major catalyst for headsets and glasses and these types of technology really taking off and becoming a lot more mainstream. So the VR market has grown massively. The products are incredible, still obviously very bullish on VR. But there's something about putting on a VR headset for the first time, and you are immediately somewhere else. You can't see your surroundings. You can't see who's in the room with you that absolutely can be jarring to new people, especially people that might not be as tech savvy. When you put on a Quest 3, a mixed reality headset, you're still seeing your same space in full color. You're seeing the people who are around you, but you now have the option to add digital objects into that space as well. So even for me, having obviously done lots of headset demos, seeing the difference in reaction for someone who spends less time with technology products or hardware products put on a headset that's just drops them into mixed reality, you feel a lot more grounded because you are still in your same space. So the accessibility part, I think, is one big side of it. The other part is simply that mixed reality is going to open up a ton of new use cases that'll appeal to a lot broader of an audience than I think VR alone will. So for example, today, we've already seen mixed reality developers build incredible video game experiences. So I kind of alluded to this, but things where you might see, you know, a bullet ricochet off your coffee table or crack your wall, even though that's obviously not quite happening. That's an experience you're never going to get in a first person shooter, just holding a controller or being in VR. Like seeing that in your space is quite incredible. But you're also going to see things around productivity and communication and fitness, you know, enjoying sports and entertainment in new ways. And all of the promise there that's kind of been locked up in the, you know, the tech not quite being there yet or not being possible is finally coming to life and has me quite excited about not just the new technology that we're introducing, but how many more people I think will be able to get value from that. Yeah. And to to follow on that, you know, where where do you see the the biggest areas for, you know, meaningful adoption of of mixed reality in, in the near future? Yeah, so there are a few areas we're seeing a lot of traction today, which have been exciting. Um, Gaming, entertainment, and fitness in particular has been really interesting out of the gate. So gaming perspective, I kind of hit on, but bringing games into your space, and that might be as intricate as a first-person shooter or more involved video game. We're also seeing things like table games, like Demia, or people playing with Lego bricks on their table, despite it not actually being there and being digital. So that's been quite exciting to see. 
A second one is entertainment has been really interesting as well. So there's a great app uh, that I love called Xstadium, where you can watch multiple NBA games at once or multiple sports events at once with different uh, virtual screens that are projected into your space. So you might be on the road taking your headset and obviously you're not packing four screens with you in your bag and you see that people are now able to almost bring you know, a hundred foot screen on the road with them to enjoy movie or uh, sports games or whatever they might uh, spend their leisure right. time on. And then lastly, fitness has been quite interesting as well. We've seen developers building you know, literal personal trainers that are now in your space, even though they aren't there in the real world, and allowing you to train with a personal trainer at home and have these unique fitness experiences you wouldn't be able to have. So those three out of the gate have been quite interesting. In the longer term, there are three additional that I'm quite bullish on as well. One is productivity and like business use cases. In the short term, someone being able to bring their monitors on the go with them is quite interesting. In the medium and longer term, not being locked into 2D screens, but being able to look at a model of a building if you're an architect all together in mixed reality, even if you're in different spaces, or being able to not be locked into the rectangles on a Zoom screen becomes quite interesting. Um, so that's one. Another is education. Learning by doing, I think, is going to be an absolutely incredible experience that's brought to life through mixed reality. So this might be an eighth grader who's falling in love with chemistry, seeing a molecule structure hovering in front of them instead of seeing it flat in a textbook. But it also might be a doctor practicing surgery on a body that isn't actually there, a mechanic learning how to take apart an engine without needing to practice on a real car before knowing what he or she are fully doing as they ramp up. So education, I think, is going to be quite interesting. And then personally, the one that I'm most excited about, and honestly why Meta is so invested in this space, is around social and communication. So no matter how much progress is made on 2D video calls and all of those technologies we've become accustomed with during the pandemic, there's no replacement for being in the same space physically with another person. And obviously, that's not always possible to do. But the prospect of being able to put on a headset or a pair of glasses and whether you are in a business meeting or you want to just hang out with a friend who's 3,000 miles away and seeing them appear as a mixed reality hologram in your space. Again, these are things that really used to just be science fiction and we're really now getting quite close to, which brings a lot of excitement, not just for me personally as a user, but really for the vision that Meta sees for all of these technologies. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are, those are some great use cases. Um, you know, one additional thing, you know, we talk a lot on this show about brand leaders and, and marketers working for brands about the, the customer experience and, you know, just the brand experience, you know, is it realistic to think that brands will have uh, some valuable customer interactions through mixed reality in the near future? And can you share maybe some, some ideas or examples that, that point to how this might happen? Yeah, it's something we're already seeing come to life in interesting ways. So I hit on this a little earlier, but over the last few years, especially with physical products, we've already seen our phones enable AR experiences and valuable customer interactions. So whether you're shopping and you want to see an object in your space before you buy it, or whether you see an AR ad on Instagram to really get an idea of you know, if that lamp you want to buy really fits your style or fits well on your the living room table, all of those things have really been the precursor to where this can go. So I think with MR, you'll really be able to supercharge that. So imagine not just seeing that lamp you're interested float in front of you, but being able to pick it up and move it to a different place. Imagine being able to 
take off the top to see what type of light bulb it requires or being able to open it up and see how the inside is made and all this happening in real time in front of you as, as if you're actually holding the object. So whether it's design elements or fashion or other pieces of commerce, essentially that ability for any retailer, especially online retailers to say, I can now put my product in your space before you've ever purchased it. I think for many folks will end up being the holy grail of connecting the digital and the physical. I imagine if you ask essentially anyone selling anything on the internet, one of the big limitations of physics today is I can't let you touch and play with the thing until you own it, but you want to right. touch and play with the thing before you actually buy it. And I think you'll unlock that. The other area also beyond physical products, but I think is equally as unique from when you talk about valuable customer interactions is experiential products. So we recently rolled out new mixed reality games and titles for Quest 3 with Netflix for Stranger Things, uh, with Sony for Ghostbusters, we have a big partnership with the NBA. These are brands that are already at the forefront of saying, we have this incredible IP, people love it, they want to experience it entirely new ways. How do we leverage this new technology to create interesting customer interaction? So that's a really interesting area for us as well as this intersection of entertainment, new technology, and experiential offerings and how they can now come to life in new ways. So that's one that I'm quite excited about as well. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Partner Hero. Customer service outsourcing has long been available mainly to large enterprise businesses with long-term contracts and onerous procurement processes. Partner Hero is challenging business as usual and bringing the benefits of outsourcing to small and medium businesses as well as startups. With short, flexible contracts and fast ramp-up times, Partner Hero is making customer support outsourcing a viable option for small and medium businesses and startups. It's perfect for companies with seasonality expecting a temporary spike in volume or that simply need to scale up. And their focus on quality means your customers will get an experience that feels like it comes from your team. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your company that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash agile, that's partnerhero.com slash A-G-I-L-E, to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from the Agile brand and the way of the setup fee. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. So let's um let's switch gears a little bit and you know something else I wanted to talk about with you, you know, based based on your experience as well. And you know, I talk a lot about on this show about how leaders really need to sometimes change their definition of what success looks like. And so, you know, there there's this this mentality that experimentation and testing it's not successful unless you achieve the exact numbers or whatever whatever you were um, set out to to achieve versus there's learning from every type of experience, whether it's it succeeds or um, I don't like to use the F word failure very often, but I believe there's learning from, you know, anything, whether it's, you know, less than purely successful sometimes. And, you know, so I want to talk about that and, you know, just how your experience there, how it's translated into learnings and greater success based on those learnings. So you were involved in the launch of Google Glass, which was in, launched initially in 2013. Wow, that, that's a long time ago now, right? In, 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 the tech, 
I know, I know. It's crazy. Um, and, you know, launched the public in 2014. Um, you know, there was some definitely some positive buzz about it, but, you know, it was ultimately deemed as less than successful. Can you talk a little bit about what did you learn from that process? Yeah, I think you're being quite uh, quite kind to me as a, <laughs> as a guest. I think it was deemed to be one of the biggest tech failures of all time, not just less than successful. Um, I, I try to soften the language a little bit, you know. It's... Yeah, and I yeah, it's uh, it, it, last I checked, it has a spot in the Museum of Failure in Washington D.C., which uh, is a resume accolade I didn't know that I needed. But um, what people forget was in the early days of Glass, not only was the product widely heralded and a ton of interest in it, but the marketing was too. So I clearly remember the the Forbes headline back in the day, which was Google's uh, perfect future-proof marketing strategy for Google Glass, which I can only laugh at now. But <laughs> right. there were there's a lot that I took away from that experience, and honestly, I could write a book or fill my fill a, a separate podcast just on learnings from Google Glass. But there are really three that stood out to me as I reflect back on the experience. So. The first seems quite basic, um, but I don't think it is, which is the idea that the tech industry is not immune to the four P's of marketing. So the tech industry is all about reinvention and speed and doing things in entirely new ways. That's great. That's why I like working in the industry. But the idea of recreating marketing or simply ignoring some of the four P's doesn't work. And when I think about Glass, it was a product that was developed with incredible technology and incredibly bright people but essentially without thought of who is this for, what is the market, what do we know, what due diligence do we need to do to understand, it really was this idea of we'll build it, we'll throw it over the fence to marketing, we'll get some tactics out there, and then if you build it, they will come. Right. And I think the tech industry, for better, has moved away from this over time. But you're talking about an era where you had folks like even Jeff Bezos saying, you know, marketing is the, the price you pay or the tax you pay for having bad product. So I think one is just this idea that is you know second nature to many marketers, but I don't think was in the tech industry that creating successful product starts by considering marketing, not just tacking, tacking it on at the end. The second thing I talk about a lot with Glass is what's called the, the Maya principle, M-A-Y-A, which is a concept developed by Raymond Lowy, who is considered the, the father of modern industrial design. He designed the United States Postal Service logo, Air Force One, Coke vending machines, a ton of things that are really just quintessential examples of design in American culture. But he had a theory that people are torn between a love of new things and a fear of anything too new. And he said that successful products sit at the intersection of what's novel and what's familiar. So he really pushed that when you are shipping technology or shipping any product that is just entirely new, you need to find a way to make it feel accessible and expected and uh, not alienating from what people have come to expect. So the iPhone is a great example of that. The first smartphone wasn't foldable with a touchscreen and four cameras and a fingerprint step scanner. It was really a natural evolution of the iPod and how you interact with it, what it looked like, the shape, how you carry it. And that's a big part of why the iPhone was successful. If you compare that to Google Glass, not only was that product introducing the first ever wearable technology, it looked unlike anything else you ever wore. It had a camera at your eye level and so on and so on. So it was just too new at once. And I think that Maya principle uh, is just something that stood, to, stood out to me throughout my career since the Google Glass days. And then lastly, I would say the thing that 
is really just been a, a big uh, focus for me since the glass days is the idea of uh, what's called dog fooding in the tech industry, eating your own dog food, meaning use the stuff that you're making and be your own first users and your harshest critics. I remember being in the office during the Google Glass days and being like, we're as marketers telling people to wear this thing that it's normal to take it out with them. But I don't see people walking around the office wearing it or using it on the weekend. Like clearly something's off here if our internal team is not our most engaged active users. And I think that was just a signal that wasn't looked at closely enough. So I could go on with 10 more examples, but those three really tend to be the intersection of how I think about what I took away from that experience. Yeah, no, that's that's great stuff. And I think that applies, yeah, definitely applies to a, a lot of things. Um, so that's that's great. What what then, you know, based on whether it was those three or, or even some other things that you learned, what were you able to take from that that contributed to greater success here at Meta Reality Labs? Yeah, a couple of things. The, the first is, I'm going to quote the CMO of Meta, Alex Schultz, who uses a line that I love. And he says all the time, we're never as bad as they say we are, and we're never as great as we say <laughs> as they say we are either. Meaning whether it's press, users, anyone else, a company like Meta, Google, there's always going to be a ton of hype and a ton of scrutiny. But understanding that you can't get caught up in that, that it's something to pay attention to, but not to live and die by day to day is just extremely important advice and something that I don't think was the case on the glass side. So I think that from the days of glass is the next best thing and the hype cycles, there was so much internal excitement that kind of blinded from all the issues with the product and the plans. And also when the product was kind of being laughed at and kind of uh, starting to go in the direction we didn't want it, there was so much focus on that versus just keeping keeping an eye on the ball and keeping our eye on what we were actually building that it was just a ton of thrash. So that idea of keeping focused and not letting yourself be thrashed by external perception saying you're the best or you're the worst, I think is something that's really been influential for me. The second thing is a lot more tactical, which is just the idea of having close alignment between product and marketing. And if someone's listening to this and they've worked in the CPG industry for a long time, they're probably laughing at me because that is such an obvious, like, that is how marketing works. But it's what I said, the idea of building things, throwing it over the fence and saying, because we built it, people will come, I think was so intrinsic to how the tech industry operated. And one of the things I've been really proud of my team and the, the wider team and Reality Labs has been how closely product and marketing have worked together to build great products that people want. So Quest 2, our first wireless headset for, or first wireless VR headset, which was only $299, was a massive spike and a massive change in the, the the curve of interest and sales of anything related to VR. We didn't get there just by guessing. We spent a ton of time looking at what people wanted, and we made trade-offs on things like new tech and higher resolution devices and better screens because we saw people really asking for three things, cheaper, wireless, easier to use. And those constraints let us build a far better product. We've seen that in some of the titles that we've built as well. I remember the early days of VR we expected that everyone would want to be up and moving around their space when they play. And we were surprised by some of the early data that said that a huge percentage of people were actually playing games that were meant to be played while standing up, while sitting down. And that's yeah. an insight that led to a game called Phantom Covert Ops, which was a first-person shooter game, but the shooter was in a kayak, which lent itself very well to people yeah. sitting down. 
that may not sound like you know a genius breakthrough, but this idea of looking at what users are asking for and looking at user behavior and building product and marketing plans in a, with a concerted approach is just something that I think has worked quite well for the VR business. And it's something I'm quite proud of seeing a, seeing my teams having pulled off over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, you know, go, going back kind of to the, the jargon part of all of this, you know, there, there's yeah. a lot of jargon being thrown around. We, you, you helped define um, some of those terms at the beginning of the show, you know, mixed reality, metaverse, VR, AR, all, all of this stuff, you know, what's, what's the danger of, kind of getting mired in the jargon part of this when you're trying to, you know, whether it's create a great product or even market uh, a great product. I think it's extremely dangerous in, in two aspects. Um, one is internally. I, I often find myself saying to my teams, the only people who are going to understand the degree of debate or the degree of detail we're discussing right now are the people in this room. <laughs> so we need to start thinking like customers, start writing like customers and not getting like just bogged down in business jargon and tech jargon. So my team probably rolls their eyes at this point, but is used to hearing me say, how do we say this in half as many words? How do we say this without any marketing jargon? How do we cut out the tech jargon? There's that thing that happens in any big company or any uh, business environment where people stop talking normally and saying, when you put on this headset, you have a ton of fun. Let me show it to you. And it becomes... With this cutting edge new technology, you'll be able to find synergies in entirely new way. And you just find people speaking an entirely different language that essentially just becomes nonsense at some point. So getting internal teams to speak to one another the same way they would speak to a stranger at a dinner party when they're describing what they do for a living is one of the areas of focus, I think, that keeps you out of danger zone number one, which is your internal communication. The, the second area of danger, which you kind of hit on, is the external communication of these products. People generally don't care about the difference between mixed reality versus virtual reality or the pixel density of the screen, obviously minus uh, a small audience of tech right. early adopters. People at the end of the day care about the benefit. So when I say, hey, you could be immersed in a totally different world and it has a this kind of screen resolution and it has hand tracking, most people really don't care. But when I say, hey, you don't love working out, but with Supernatural, a fitness experience in Quest, you can work out in an entirely new world. You'll put on this headset, you'll have a personal trainer standing with you, and you'll be standing next to a lagoon in Iceland. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Do you think that would make your fitness experience a bit more fun? That's when people start to get interested. So again, I think there's probably a CPG marketer fairly laughing at some of these takeaways because they're so obvious, but the tech industry in particular, I think, just gets so in love with the technology that it's building and it wants to focus on that, that we deviate too frequently from the actual value we're offering. And that has been a big focus for me, especially with something as, you know, frankly, complex as mixed reality and virtual reality in the metaverse is leave those words behind as much as you can and focus on what the benefit is, because that's what 99.9% of people are actually going to care about. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of in the computer business, for instance, you know, marketing based on, you know, how much, how many back in the day megabytes of RAM it had and the processor speed and all this stuff. And now, you know, now, now it seems to be, you know, companies like Apple and others are are doing more based on the benefits. And to your point, there's a lot of people that have been doing that for years, but I, I do, I do think in the, 
in the technology space, there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on the tech because it is cool tech, right? You know, those of us that that pay attention to it probably care about it. But is that so? That's, I mean, essentially, it's 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 focusing on those those end benefits that really apply to everybody. That's that's how you get past the jargon. Yeah, absolutely. And so when I think about like the early days of VR marketing, so much of it was like the early days of computers, which was about screen resolution and, uh, you know, all of the different technology, uh, the technology elements that, you know, there's an audience for it, but it's quite limited. When I think about the transition over the last, call it five years, trying to broaden who we speak to and broaden the appeal, some of my favorite work that we've done, just thinking back as we ran, I guess it would be called out of home, but it was kind of gorilla out of home, but it was out of home boards purchased on the ground in different cities. And they were just six foot squares that said, there are six by six foot squares that said, this is how much space you need in your home to have a boxing ring, or this is how much space you need in your home to sit courtside at the Knicks game. And it was a very simple way of saying, if you have six feet of space in your home, there's an entirely new world of experiences open to you. And it was quite a simple execution, but something that just really moved away from, for one of the first times, from speeds and feeds and tech features to very clear value, you know, kind of delivered in a, a fun, hopefully creative way. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining the show. One last question before we wrap up here. So you've given a lot of great insights already. Um, where do you see realistically see mixed reality at, uh, let's say same time next year. So this episode is airing at the beginning of, of 2024. So, you know, in about a year's time, you know, are we, expanding current technologies is the audience growing and expanding use cases expanding all of the above you know where, where do you see things kind of going over the next 12 months yeah we are very much in the the home stretch of the most exciting and most anxiety inducing time of the year for me which is seeing how many people over the holiday season put uh, a quest 3 under their tree or in their gift yeah. piles so very much looking forward to seeing it as well i i think it's going to be three things i think we're going to see doubling down on the things that are already showing early traction. So gaming in particular, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting innovation around how people bring games to life with it, with mixed reality technology. The second is, I think we're going to see a lot of new innovation as well around fitness, media consumption, and then presence and communication, which I kind of hit on a bit earlier. But I think especially as the audience for these products gets a lot wider and there are simply just more of them out in the world, I think that these uh, use cases in particular are going to attract a lot of developer interest. And then the third is really a cop-out of an answer. So forgive me for ending on that note. But the thing I'm most excited about is what I think developers will push on, which are the things we can't even think about today. So when you think about any platform, the personal computer, the iPhone, the iPad, now virtual and mixed reality, when you look at the first experiences that came out versus what developers ended up building and you say, how did we possibly get here? It's incredible. I think we're just at the precipice of that with VR and MR. My hope is a year from now, if we're chatting at the end of the year to talk about uh, how these predictions came true, is that we're going never in a million years would I bet the developers would have so much success with blank, but here are five examples of how they built that. So creativity of the developer community continues to be the the strength of our business and excited to see how that comes to life as well. That's great. That's great. Well, again, I'd like to thank Dave Kaufman, Senior Director, Global Marketing, VR and Metaverse at Meta for joining the show. You can learn more about Dave and Meta by following the links in the show notes. 
Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile brand guides covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand.